0: Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm your host, Jordan Jones. Back here today, it's Monday, April 18th, here in West Lafayette. Campus is abuzz with the annual tradition of the Grand Prix race taking place this weekend. Though football and basketball seasons are far away, we still have a few pieces of news to touch on in addition to celebrating Purdue Volleyball with some big wins recently after we remember and celebrate an all-time great Boilermaker, Leroy Keys, one of the greatest to ever take the field at Rossade Stadium, passed away this week at 74 years of age. Keyes was a two-time All-American for Purdue in 1967 and 68, having played a key role on the 1966 Rose Bowl winning team who took down USC. Uh, out in Pasadena, Keyes was featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated in 1968 when the Boilermakers had a number one ranking in the country. Number three overall pick in the 1967 NFL Draft always stayed loyal to his alma mater. Made frequent appearances back in West Lafayette before he took over as the running back running back coach in. The 1990s for Purdue and remained in West Lafayette until his passing. I'm not really the right person to make a lot of comments about Leroy Keyes. I am far too young to really appreciate who he was as a player. Obviously, I never met Leroy, uh, but you know, it's a tremendous story. Uh, Leroy comes from the South to Purdue, where He was able to play because the Southern schools weren't willing to let him play on their team due to his race. And he comes to Purdue and excels right away, Uh, automatically getting big playing time on that Rose Bowl team when he played a little bit of offense and defense. And, you know, then a two-time All-American, believe he's the highest pick in Purdue history in the NFL draft. I mean, it's... Very impressive stuff. Uh, Easily a top five player in the history of Purdue football. And you could make a very good argument for him at number one. Leroy was a tremendous representative of Purdue. The Boilermaker family will miss him dearly. Rest in peace, Leroy. Now into some more positive and much happier news. Purdue working on filling those two vacant assistant coaching spots they have on staff right now. One of those has been filled. Paul Lusk, uh, former Purdue assistant under Matt Painter from 2005 to 2011, will come back and fill the role which Steve Lutz occupied for the last four years. You'll remember Lutz is off to Texas A&M Corpus Christi where he will be the head coach. Uh, But, you know, Lusk comes back somewhere he's very familiar with. He played a key role landing the baby boilers and developing them into one of the nation's top teams. He then took the head coaching job at Missouri State to replace Quanzo Martin. When Martin took off from there to go to Tennessee, Lusk was up and down at Missouri State as a head coach. After 2018, moved on to be an assistant at Creighton. Now he's back at Purdue. This is a very safe hire. This is one where Lusk should fit in right away with very little adjustment period. Him and Matt Painter work very well together. Lusk was also on Painter's staff the one year he spent as the head coach at Southern Illinois before coming to Purdue. So, you know, this isn't a surprise. The focus now turns to that final assistant spot to replace Micah Shrewsbury. Not a lot of noise coming from that. Uh, No news really to speak of, but it doesn't seem that Purdue's in any too big of a rush to fill it. Could they go the NBA route the way they did with Shrewsbury and get a coach from the NBA to come to the college ranks? sure absolutely could they stick with a college coach I think that's probably more likely but I don't have a great list of potential candidates we'll see what happens there it is a fairly important hire especially if you assume this coach will take uh, Shrewsbury's role with the offense you know this is a team next year that should have quite a bit of offensive firepower It'll be up to Purdue to make sure the offense is ready to roll come November, but we'll see what goes on there. Purdue will also have to replace both the graduate assistants for next year. Uh, Grady Eifert and PJ Thompson both have had their two years come and go, so two more coaching roles certainly nowhere near as important as the others, but two other jobs that Purdue will have to fill. And the only personnel note with Purdue basketball, Travion Williams announced last week that he was going to test the waters with the NBA draft, declare for the draft while maintaining his college eligibility. I can't blame him one bit. You know, if you look at this situation, what does Travion Williams have to lose? He's not a prototypical NBA player. I. I'm the worst person to talk about this because I don't watch the NBA. I think it's terrible basketball. I don't think it's entertaining, but, you know, for all these guys, it's a dream. You can make a lot of money from playing basketball. I don't know how well his game translates to the NBA. Uh, It's a wide open offense, full of isolation with a lot of fives who can step out, shoot threes, and put the ball on the floor and dribble by you. I That's not his game. We saw that in the Big Ten tournament, uh, trying to guard Kyle Young from Ohio State, and that really didn't go well for Williams or Edie or any Purdue big man. That's just not his game. Uh, and with on the offensive side, Williams is certainly skilled down in the post, but I don't know right now that he shoots the ball well enough to stick on an NBA roster we'll see Um, but he has one year left at Purdue he might as well identify an area or two to really develop to try to get himself in that draft position and that conversation after his senior season I'd be absolutely shocked if he decides to stay in the draft this year I've checked out a few draft boards just to make sure that I was thinking correctly and you don't really see him on any draft boards with you know the guys in a mock draft or even guys in that first group off and the one thing to remember about the NBA not a lot of players get drafted there's only 60 picks in that draft two rounds 30 teams no compensatory picks nothing like that like the NFL or baseball So With 60 picks, you've got 75 power six programs. That doesn't include Gonzaga or some of the mid-major guys. You know, a Kawhi Leonard, a Paul George, a Gordon Hayward. It's tough to get drafted. You have international guys coming over to the league. A Luka Doncic, a Giannis Anadokounmpo. You know, it's really hard to get drafted, and it's even harder to stick around the league once you're there. We've seen that with a lot of Purdue guys who you know, get the opportunity and it just doesn't stick around well. It's, if this move is something that can help Williams get drafted after his senior season, he's absolutely doing the right thing. Uh, I, I think he's smart to do so. I don't think any other Purdue players will do this. We should have a solidified roster once Williams makes his final decision over the summer. And then, another weird, weird story coming out of Purdue this past week. Uh, on Coming from the football side with Malik Carr. Coming out of Purdue last Thursday, Malik Carr announced his decision to enter the transfer portal. Now, for those who may not remember the name, Malik Carr was Purdue's highest rated football commit in the class of 2020. A massive six foot five, 235 pound, four star receiver from the Detroit area who chose Purdue over Georgia. Carr was also a respected basketball recruit, though not at the same level as his football ability. Had a lot of mid major offers, coming a lot from MAC schools. And when he committed to Purdue, it did sound like he was looking to play both football and basketball in the That could be a realistic possibility at Purdue. Saw some slight action for the football team in the fall, but he injured his back in the season opener versus Iowa. Limited thereafter. I do remember a reception of cars uh, downfield for 10, 15 yards in that Iowa game. But, you know, small year for him. The COVID year didn't help. A back injury really hurts. Seemed very primed to have a much better redshirt freshman season, although nothing was going to come easy. I mean, that's that Purdue wide receiver group is very loaded on the outside alone. You know, you have David Bell, Milton Wright, Colin Sullivan, Abdurrahman Yassin, Preston Terrell, uh, Corey Taylor. You have a lot of names out there. Basketball obviously didn't end up happening for. Car in his freshman season for a lot of reasons that really make a lot of sense. You know, he gets injured during football season and you're not going to go somewhat unhealthy into basketball when you are a football scholarship player. That's just not going to work. And with the COVID restrictions... Basketball wasn't a normal season either. You know, football wasn't scheduled to finish up until mid-December. Basketball was already going. Very strict protocols of people coming in and out and being around the team. So, you know, that was all a difficult spot for him to walk into. And it's not like this is the olden days anymore. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, there were plenty of instances of players playing two sports at the Division I level, but it doesn't happen much anymore. I can't remember a Purdue player doing both football and basketball since Charles Davis in the mid-2000s, big football tight end, came in to play basketball on some of those Purdue teams that just were not good whatsoever, uh, towards the end of Gene Cady and the start of Matt Painter. I, re- Patrick Beatty, the most recent name to have any of that going on back in what 2012 maybe, but I believe he was completely done with basketball by the time he went to play football for a year. It's been a while. Uh, this. Carr's situation came nearly immediately after the D1 council approved the one-time transfer rule on Thursday. I'll talk about this more later, but players are able to transfer one time during their college career, be eligible immediately at their next institution, and this has been building up for a few years now. It was a formality when they held the vote last week, but carr enters the portal Thursday afternoon and says he doesn't want schools to contact him. Less than an hour later, reports start surfacing that it's going to be Michigan State and he's going to go be a Spartan because he had a better chance at playing on the Spartan basketball team than he had at Purdue. This is the era of college sports we live in now. Call it tampering, call it whatever you like, but when a player is at a school like Carr was at Purdue, they're certainly going to be hearing from other schools about interest in moving on. You're going to hear from other coaches seeing if you're happy at Purdue. It's no different than, uh, you know, an agent for a pro sport, uh, pro athlete, seeing if his client wants to move on, wants to request a trade, anything like that. Now, you know, we have a lot of tampering situations and it's very, very obvious that Malik Carr entered the transfer portal knowing that he had an immediately committable offer for Michigan state for football. I don't know what this basketball situation looks like. In my opinion, even if he had joined the team, Carr would have probably never seen the floor for Purdue basketball 6'5", very built. He'd play the 3 or 4. He'd have to deal with Brandon Newman, Mason Gillis, Trey Kaufman-Wren, Caleb First. Purdue certainly looking at guys in the 2022 class that would play that spot, like Jalen Washington from Gary West. Could potentially add Brian Waddell here in the 2021 class out a Carmel. So there's a lot of competition there. And it's a massive uphill battle to go from playing football every day from July to November, play 12 games in 14 weeks. You'll get beat up pretty good. And then you try to go hop in a Big Ten basketball game, having not been practicing basketball. And, you know, Purdue football makes a bowl game. You're pushing back a basketball arrival to January, and you've already missed half the season. Uh, I I just don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense. I don't know if Carr is going to end up playing basketball at Michigan State or not. They're young. They have a coach who tends to do a very good job of developing talent. Uh, look, he'll be closer to home now as well. As I said, from Detroit, the receiver room at Michigan State is less crowded than what he will have at Purdue. I can't say this move completely shocks me, but it's the first time with these new transfer rules that I've just really kind of been fascinated by a situation surrounding a decision to transfer. And, you know, with the one-time transfer rule passing, as I said, it's officially been passed by the Division I Council. Any D1 athlete can now transfer one time during their college career and have no requirement to sit out. This is the most dramatic and drastic change in terms of a piece of legislation the NCAA has passed since they allowed freshmen to play immediately. Now, we could be very close to name, image, and likeness completely surpassing this and making the one-time transfer look like nothing. You know, Guys would be able to legally get paid. From a Purdue perspective, you know, this name, image, and like, excuse me, this one-time transfer, it means Emmanuel Duwana will be immediately eligible wherever he ends up next year. It means Purdue could add any transfer in America, and he would be eligible to play for Purdue here this upcoming season. For Aaron Wheeler, he would have been eligible immediately anyways. He entered his name as a graduate transfer, meaning he will be graduating from Purdue here soon. This is going to completely change college sports for the near future. This could and probably will get crazy really quick. From a football perspective, I don't really know what to expect. Is this going to turn into something where if a player isn't getting snaps at Purdue by their second or third season, they're almost a lock to go move on and how many players at Alabama will that happen to or if you're you know Purdue some Purdue has someone like Rondale Moore who terrorizes the college football landscape as a freshman are Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson gonna come knocking I don't know that's That's the crazy part. And then on the flip side, how many players are going to get stuck in the portal because of this? That's the scary part. You know, the grass isn't always greener. That's my biggest takeaway from this situation is that you can transfer. And I have no problem with the players having the right to transfer. But with it being almost incentivized now, I think we're going to see a lot of situations where players just get stuck. A player decides he wants to leave, and then all of a sudden they enter the portal with no plan and end up being done. And you pass up a scholarship there, you lose your opportunity to get a free college education and play some football or play some basketball. You know, basketball, it's a much smaller group. Of players, it's 12 versus 85, or 13 versus 85, but look at how big the portal was this year, and it still is. As a whole, over 1,500 players have entered their name in the portal. That's over 25% of all the players in the country. This is destroying the mid-major level. You're seeing massive roster turnover. I can't help but think it's not a good thing. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I... I'm overestimating that this will hurt the quality of play and that this will really hurt the casual fans' interest in college sports. But, you know, as I said, the grass may not always be greener. We saw that with no Eastern last year. But Purdue has seen some guys benefit from the grass being greener. Grant Weatherford got out of Purdue quick. Obviously, that wasn't a fit from the start. Jaquiel Taylor gets out of Purdue for his graduate transfer year, goes to Hofstra, and has a good year. Pretty much everyone who left Purdue from 2012 to 2014 as a transfer needed to leave. Ronnie Johnson, Anthony Johnson, Kelsey Barlow wasn't welcomed back. Uh, Sandy Marchuch took off. Um, <laughs> it's just crazy saying all these names again, but jacob lawson took off you know hopefully more players make the right decision and aren't afraid to stick around rather than getting greedy and getting burned pretty badly by it we're back to that time of year again where piece by piece john rothstein of cbs sports will tweet out every non-conference game across the country which gets announced and today we got a Announcement from Rothstein that Purdue will be hosting Indiana State on Friday, November 12th. I was really hoping this would be a home football weekend, but no. Uh, Purdue football is at Ohio State the following day on the 13th. Not a surprising game to see scheduled. Purdue plays Indiana State quite a bit. I know last year Purdue played them. Travion Williams had 30 off the bench in that one. They played in the scrimmage for charity a couple years ago before the season, I remember. But in terms of other scheduling pieces, we know there will be a Big Ten ACC Challenge game. This is the final year of the Crossroads Classic in Indianapolis. Purdue will get Butler this year. I believe Purdue will have a Gavitt game in that Big Ten versus Big East series. And Purdue is also in the MTE At Mohegan Sun, I don't know that I've seen the date. I think that's November with Villanova, Tennessee, and North Carolina. That's a loaded field, especially with Colin Gillespie coming back to Villanova. Should be a formidable non-conference schedule for Purdue. I'll keep bringing you the scheduling updates as they come in, but normally it's not going to be finalized till late summer at the earliest. It'll be 20 Big Ten games, I believe 11 non conference. Eventually, it'll all be available and we'll get it all sorted out. Then to close, fantastic stuff from Coach Dave Shondell and company on the volleyball court. Purdue reaching the regional finals that's the Elite Eight for the first time since 2013 defeated High Point and Oregon in the process Oregon the 10 overall team in the country. that Purdue Oregon game was something else It was a lot of fun to watch. very intense, very high flying. this team's so fun to watch. it's it, if you haven't watched much volleyball it's worth checking out. you know it moves quick there is no downtime. Uh, they're really good. they're fantastic at what they do. I am recording this prior to the regional final matchup with Kentucky. That's coming up here tonight. Um, You'll be listening to it after the fact, but number two, Kentucky against number seven, Purdue. Uh, The Wildcats are very, very good from what I've gathered. We'll see how things unfold there out in Omaha for the volleyball team. That's all I have for you today. Thank you for spending your time with me. Remember to follow the show on Twitter, at BoilersBeyond. Send me in any questions you have. We'll do a Q&A session on the next episode. Let me know what you thought of today's program on that Twitter. The offseason is probably going to continue to be pretty slow. I plan on recording every other week until we get closer to football kicking off. If you have any ideas for show topics or segments, I'm all ears Uh, Just reach out to me on Twitter or email boilersbeyondpod at gmail.com. Until next time, be safe, everyone.